You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This episode of the Sport Horse Podcast is brought to you by Hilltop Bio. Hilltop Bio is committed to developing innovative therapies and improving the lives of horses. Based on the latest scientific advancements, they've created cutting-edge regenerative therapies that are custom-engineered and optimized for specific indications. They're also recommended by top veterinarians like the U.S. show jumping team vet Heather Sherman. They're produced under the strictest manufacturing standards and are show safe to use. If you're familiar with stem cells, PRP, and IRAP for your horse, Hilltop Bio is producing the next generation of regenerative therapies to get your horse on the fast track to healing. Visit HilltopBio.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Warden, and today we have a really, really interesting discussion to share with you. Yeah, so today's uh, conversation gets into uh, the microbiome of horses and um, some exciting research being done in that area. I think this is really cool. It's something that I don't know a lot about, and hopefully that won't know too much. Um, but uh, our guest is truly a real expert and um, has a lot of of knowledge to impart, and his research is, is really exciting, both in terms of getting a better understanding of uh, microbiota and, um, you know, what what a healthy gut looks like and what an unhealthy gut looks like, but also in, you know, developing knowledge and information and educating people so that, you know, genuinely they can provide the best care and management of their horses and and prevent things like colic and colitis in the long term. And I know that's something that every horse owner would like to know how to do. So um, really great conversation and let's get into it. Dr. Luis Arroyo Castro grew up on a rural farm along the Pacific coast of Costa Rica at the Universidad Nacional Heredia. He trained as a veterinarian, graduating in 1994. For the next few years, he practiced mixed animal medicine in rural Costa Rica. He then decided to attend the Ontario Veterinary College, or OVC, in Guelph, Canada, where he completed the Large Animal Medicine Doctor of Veterinary Science program in the Department of Clinical Studies. Following his completion, he furthered his education by working towards a PhD in the Department of Pathobiology at OVC. And he is now board certified with the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine and has been a faculty member in the Department of Clinical Studies at OVC since 2009. His research interest is in large animal gastrointestinal disorders, as well as equine vascular diseases. Hi, Luis, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. Hi there. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we wanted to kick off the discussion by briefly touching on a really interesting uh, 2020 publication from you in the journal Animals. And in this paper, you compared the luminal and mucosal microbiota of healthy horses to the microbiota composition of horses with diarrhea. What were the main findings from this work? And maybe just to begin, could you define as well luminal and mucosal microbiota? Yes, of course. Yeah, so we basically uh, collected samples, as you mentioned, from the lumen and the mucosa. And by lumen, we mean basically the space inside uh, a tubular structure in the body, like an artery or in the intestine, that's what we call as the lumen. So the contents in the intestine, that's what we call as the luminal content. And the mucosa, which is this thin tissue lining on body cavities, like gastrointestinal tract or the lungs, and that mucosa and communities that may live on that layer, that's what we sample. And basically, 
Uh, we did that because we wanted to find out if there were differences. We already knew that there are differences, actually, but we we wanted to know what kind of difference might be there in disease and under health state. And what we found that there are like marked differences in the richness, which is the different communities of uh, bacteria in there and the composition actually between the mucosa and the lumen um, in two compartments, which were basically the cecum and large colon of the horses with colitis. And so what we concluded for that is that they are, there are marked microbial dysbiosis occurring in horses with colitis at the different levels of the gastrointestinal tract. And the, that this difference between, uh, you know, the lumen and the mucosa uh, can have an effect on, obviously, on diarrhea horses about how we see the disease process. And there are some very important changes and so key taxa or key bacterial communities, um, such as, you know, like the gram-negative uh, uh, Escherichia coli or Fusobacterium or some bacteria that we sometimes associate with health like lactobacillus. And perhaps, you know, the survey that we do with this kind of research is, is high up. So we don't dive too deep in which bacteria particularly is affected, but at least we know which families, which group of bacteria may be affected. And that gives us some leads about how to design and to develop future diagnostic, uh, sorry, future research projects. That's really, really fascinating. I'm wondering what could lead to these discrepancies that you just described in the gut microbiota between healthy horses and those that are suffering from colitis. That's a fantastic question and extremely difficult to answer, but <clears throat> You know, perhaps in a way that there are several reasons and many possible ways to exemplify these discrepancies or differences. And I think the classic example here, Nicole, is the use of antibiotics or antimicrobials. Um, and, and, you know, and this happens in any species and in humans, for example, the use antibiotics can lead to severe disease such as clostridium associated diarrhea. So what happens is that when uh, the uh, you know antibiotics are prescribed that and the end result of that is uh, killing uh, bacteria which normally lives in a healthy state and and kind of like um, communities balance state in the gut and and that could potentially favor some other type of bacteria and some of it potentially being pathogenic or even bacteria that might be a good bacteria, but when overgrowth uh, can produce metabolite that can cause disease. Um, that can happen in other species, for example, in cows, when sometimes uh, some bacteria is killed in the rumen and uh, particular type of bacteria overgrows and produce too much lactic acid, for example, that can cause severe inflammation of the rumen, for example. Um, and in horses, the, the classic examples will be abrupt changes on diet, transportation, stress, you know, seen in many different ways, like racing, uh, going to horse shows, uh, a colic that may develop, uh, surgical intervention, or coming for a, a elective procedure. And when that stress event or that changes in the bacterial composition or that change in the microbial communities on the intestine, 
that can lead to a disease, disease state, or that can lead to things like colic or diarrhea, which is uh, a reflection of inflammation of the colon or what we call colitis. Interesting. And like, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. I'm not sure if studies have been done, but if you were to compare, um, I guess, today's modern horse living in captivity and maybe using for maybe being used for sport purposes, and then some of those wild, more feral populations of horses, uh, like, do you think that, um, like in those wild horses that aren't impacted by antibiotics and for sure they go through stressful times in their lives, but it's not, it's not so much imposed on them. They, I think they live a more like consistent life and with respect to what they do on a day-to-day basis. Like, do you think that those horses, you wouldn't tend to see such, uh, I'm not sure if this is the correct way to think about it, but such wild th- swings in the microbiota with living within them. Yes, absolutely. So horses in the wild or living under more, I guess, natural conditions. For example, I grew up on a farm and the horses spend 24-7 grazing. Horses spend about 18 hours of the day grazing in a very short grass, eating only the very, um, you know, fresher and softer part of of the grass. And we change their lifestyle. Now we feed them hay, we feed them grain, things that they were not necessarily used to. We feed them at our convenient times, you know, um, and so that causes um, major stress in their normal physiology, gastrointestinal physiology. For that reason, uh, as you know, uh, from raising horses, when we feed them a really high starchy or, or carbohydrate diets, that can change the pH, that can lead to ulcer, that can lead also to high levels of stress. And, and, um, so definitely your question about the lifestyle or changing the routine or, you know, the evolution of the horse in terms of, you know, what they were used to do in the wild to the modern horse, which live in the stall, much less exercise, um, that can definitely lead to some of these, you know, um, if you like, modern, uh, man-made perhaps uh diseases and you know even asthma in horses for example that is definitely a lifestyle uh, a disease that is created by the way we actually having have them living in our society yeah and it's it's definitely food for thought right and I, th- I think that's one of the things we try to encourage on this podcast is for people to start thinking about like what can be done to maybe put the horses in a better position like i think there will always be reasons why people hesitate to go fully like more natural with horses but what can be done to 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 try and address some of this um and a little bit along the same lines uh i'm I'm often asked you know uh like for assessing like talent in show jumping horses for example and and the question is always when you look at these young horses that have really good success when they're young over in europe and then the question is can they become top international horse that need to fly across the world like they're constantly on the road and like which horses are able to tolerate that and which won't and i I think it's not so much the most talented horses that succeed like obviously the really top horses are talented but i think a lot of it as well is they just have the genetic profile to tolerate some of these really stressful uh things that we place on them and so i'm wondering is there any sort of genetic link that has been found between maybe the robustness of the gut in horses and its ability to stave off some of the stresses that other horses are really impacted by. 
That's such a great question. And the short answer is I don't know of any genetic traits that have been identified in horses to to link it to endurance or to resilience. In humans, there is such a thing, you know, there is actually some genes that are being linked to resilience. And the more we um, investigate uh, the genetic profile of horses, which now we have, uh, you know, the whole genome of horse has been published and available. So I think that more of that will come in the future, but I, uh, I haven't actually heard about uh, you know a resilience gene or a gene associated with a horse that might be more likely to succeed under such a stressful conditions, but I wouldn't be surprised, Tim, that that's something coming down the pipeline. That's definitely really exciting. I mean, the more that we understand, uh, the more we can you know act and and do better for the horses that are in our care, and that um, as you guys have sort of alluded to, we're sort of. Uh, enforcing unique stress stress on um that they're not necessarily built to to manage in their um you know their natural state but i i want to circle back a minute to your your existing research um i'm very interested in technology always and i know that you're using the equine robo gut to study gut health can you explain a little bit about this technology and what it's allowed you to examine yes of course so the RoboGuard is actually a bioreactor system which is designed to replicate the conditions of uh, of the colon of certain parts of the intestine, for example, to culture the whole bacterial communities that you can, you know, sort of like harvest from uh, feces or colonic uh, biopsies or contents. And that allows us to create, um, you know, conditions that you can mimic artificially uh, change the diet, uh, sample it, and things like that. So uh, colleagues across the road, Dr. Um, M. Allen Birko, have been using this in the human world for a long time, and they are very successful. Uh, we did start doing some of that, uh, but actually we moved on to use another technology, which is called, or another branch of bacteria, which we, we, we call it culturomics. And so what we do with this, Nicole, is to actually grow bacteria that we are very interested in, in many different conditions and many uh, media types, if you like. So you're going to offer them particular foods. So you give uh, to one bacteria, let's put for the sake of comparison, Italian, another would be Mexican, another going to be, you know, uh, French, and, and then you you see them how they grow and you what you do with that is enrich and select for certain family of bacteria that you will be very interested in studying so our, my research group um, our lab is extremely focused and interested on the clostridia type so the the spore forming bacteria those that can survive for a long time those that produce particular toxins that can cause disease like clostridium difficile clostridium perfringens clostridium sordelli so we actually move from the uh, RoboGuard because um, the RoboGuard give you a more a broader picture of the metabolites and, you know, sort of like the change in the communities. But we found that it wasn't giving us as many answers as we might find in terms of searching for particular pathogens or searching for par particular bacterial types that we are more interested in investigating. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really fascinating and exciting, uh, I think, to 
to just understand sort of the details of what you're able to do and what technology is enabled. It's pretty cool. And to, and to follow up on that, I, I guess the, as you sort of talk through like some of that new technology that is now available, um, I'm I'm wondering if that and, and this may be you know way outside or maybe a future direction. But do you think it'll it will eventually get to the point where uh, when we're looking at diets for horses, then we w- would almost want to simulate what is going to happen within the gut when we get, when we change a horse's diet or when we look at if a horse is traveling, like how will a particular horse, like based on what its microbiota is today, like if it needs to go and compete in the Olympics in uh, Paris next year, and we know that it's going to have access to certain hay over there and to certain different types of feed, like would it be something that could almost be simulated with some of this technology? That's a great question. And I I am a full believer that the technology is changing so fast and is so much available and accessible, I guess, in terms of cost and and, you know, accessibility that I believe that something like that will definitely uh, come in the pipeline. I think that people will at least minimize the risk of causing troubles by knowing ahead of time, you know, how to, to treat, to, to feed an animal in a more stable way and avoiding certain things that you know that is going to affect the performance or, or it's going to potentially lead to disease. So I think you're right. I think that... Um, there is even uh, this kind of like, if you call it a human bedside or it's all side uh, technology in the future, you might be able to, um, you know, quite accurately uh, test and and find out ahead of time uh, what is available and how this may impact uh, the health of a potential athlete. And I think that, I think you're right. I think that uh, this will become probably commercially available, probably easily accessible for you know owners and and or uh, professional veterinarians to uh, you know provide better health or prevent you know better provide better preventive medicine. You know, I'm just thinking a little bit about sort of the prevalence of conversation around gut health in humans and how it's become or for a little bit now, it's been a pretty like hot topic. And um, I think that the science and the sort of uh, what's commercially available uh, have gotten a little bit further apart. Um, and on the other hand, in horses, I, I think that um, we don't know as much. And so I think a lot of owners, you know, they'll go to their vet and ask questions. Others just go to the store and and read the, you know, the the supplements that are available. And it, it raises a question for me that I I'm just curious if if your research and your expertise can can lend some insight into. I think with horses and and sport horses and their management and care, we're constantly sort of faced with the question of um, you know, do we treat and intervene with you know, supplementation and and medication, or do we focus more on trying to fix the problem by by you know what they're eating, how they're being exercised, and and the factors that are actually causing the the change in in microbiota and and in potentially in, in disease development. Um, you know, I I know that there's no I I know that there's no like clear answers out there about any of this, but I'm just curious, you know, if you can speak to that a little bit and 
and what the best approach is for a horse owner that just genuinely wants to do the best for their horse. That's, you know, that's the most common question, I guess. I, uh, you know, when a horse comes with colitis, a horse comes with colic, the immediate question from the owner is like, what can I do to prevent it? Why did I do wrong? Uh, was it something that I did, you know, and and sometimes even some guilt about whether or not they they created the conditions for this animal to develop disease? <clears throat> and the short answer is like, is no, we, we have... Uh, to continue to work in this field to identify what you mentioned are risk factors. You know, what conditions can lead to that? Um, is it supplementing uh, really beneficial or not? And, and many of the products that are out there, commercially available, we don't know a lot about the health benefits. They are there, you know, there are some claims and, you know, I cannot speak to whether or not they they truly help or not. And, from supplements to probiotics or prebiotics, may or may not, uh, the scientific evidence is poor. And I think that it is a, such a huge field in human and animal medicine that I think that all what I can hope is to continue to search for data to back up our claims or, for example, risk factors to focus on, okay, you know, if we see colleagues with impactions in the fall, it's probably because it's not drinking enough water. And is that because the water is frozen or it's too cold and the horse doesn't want to drink? Well, that's a very direct and very, very clear risk factor. So if we can, you know, identify things like that, I know these ones are very obvious and very simple, but other things that can, you know, provide that information to the owners and create awareness. And so they know that that may be coming. And then that would be very useful to have handy for people to say, okay, I can at least minimize the risk of this from happening. I think um, we will never eliminate disease. We will never eliminate this uh, situation where we have colleagues uh, because, you know, it's just, it's just nature. But I think we can, we can bring it to some level of at least awareness and, and hopefully minimize the risks. And uh, along those, lines, I guess. I know you're currently working on uh, a project that's looking at early detection of GI issues. Uh, and can you speak a little bit about what that would look at and how down the road that could potentially be used to address some of these issues before it becomes a, a major health problem? Yeah, so we have um, we are working on a project, for example, where we're trying to identify what is called dysbiosis. So these changes in the microbial communities that can perhaps give us some kind of indications to clinical disease, something that we still don't see on the surface, but is, you know, is lurking underneath and say, okay, you know, we, we notice that this is changing. And, you know, I guess perhaps as an example here is like, like a, uh, some of these institutions that, that, that uh, look out for, you know, volcanic eruptions. Like, is this volcano changing, you know, waves or something that gives some indication that it's going to, potentially erupt or have a you know an explosion is it a is, is it something in the god that is brewing that we can predict it i think that we may gain some information from that um and we have to look there will be um you know a lot of data to mine but i think the main goal of our research is to identify those risk factors that i was mentioned to nicole that can provide us with hints about Early disease detection, potential new pathogens, dysbiosis state, or give us some 
you know, some hints about that subclinical disease that I mentioned about. And we also uh, pay a lot of attention to epidemiological data, um, you know, can give us awareness to host owners about, for example, geographical distribution of a disease. The best example that I'm going to give you is neorickettiosis or potoma horse fever, where, you know, we are being uh, testing horses all over Ontario and Canada. And by now we describe areas in Ontario or all the provinces where the disease was never found before. So with that, at least we can come back to the owner and say, look, you have the disease in your area. If you see these clinical signs, if you see this disease pattern or, or during this time of the year, you need to test for it. You might be dealing with a potential life-threatening disease that was never identified in your region. And then we also look at, um, you know, disease pathogenesis, so new pathogens. We, uh, just a few years back, we identified new species of bacteria that can cause potoma horse fever. And, uh, you know, we published a paper in a very, you know, high-impact journal describing these new bacteria. And maybe also looking at new disease, new treatment modalities. How can we treat this better? You know, what would be, what would be uh, an intervention that can help these horses to increase the, the, the chances for survival? And that's what we hope uh, or we place our efforts uh, with this kind of research. That's really, really exciting. Um, and I think I can speak for both of us when I say hopefully we'll be able to have you back again soon to talk about your findings and in that research and educate people about a lot of these things that you know they can do to to prevent disease and um, really exciting stuff that you're working on. So um, really cool to hear about it. Um, I know that you're quite busy, and so we're gonna wrap up with one final question that we ask all of our guests, um, and that's if you could speak directly to a horse and you, you know that they would fully understand what you're telling them. What would you want them to know? Wow. That is such a great question, which I never thought about it or trying to answer. <laughs> but since uh, the topic of our discussion and, I, and the main focus of my research is in gastroenterology, I would have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with that horse about the importance of a healthy diet. Um, just like in human medicine, many metabolic, immune-mediated, uh, food intolerance, inflammatory bowel disease, and even neurological disorders are linked to diet uh, or to the gut microbiota by now. I think the microbiome has shown the importance uh, by far in terms of, you know, the impact on health. So in horses, many gastrointestinal illness develop as, as a result of a group changes in diet and stress that can occur in the form of transportation, going to horse shows, racing, as I mentioned earlier, that can lead to ulcers, inadequate meal times, access to fresh water, uh, exposure to drugs or medications that can affect the microbial communities and, and their balance. And that can ultimately lead to gastrointestinal illness. And therefore, I would like to insist on having a conversation with that horse about a healthy diet and a healthy routine. And I think that can lead to, uh, uh, you know, a healthy life and a more longevity um, and happiness that that would be my message about or my talk with that horse thank you i hope that answered your question yeah, yeah. that was fantastic really appreciate it yeah and with that like really really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us um learned a lot on uh this discussion and i think as well we we chatted it came up a few times during this chat but i think it's it's a topic that 
people in general are starting to appreciate that this the microbiome is more important, especially on the human side. Like I, I think we're starting to see that more and more just in popular culture and you know different scientific studies that are, are being coming that are coming out and being uh you know communicated to the the average person but uh I, I think like how do you actually understand it and what should we be doing with our horses to make sure that we're protecting it in the way i guess i i think that this conversation is really helpful for shining a light on that and uh yeah i'm really looking forward to getting it out there and hearing what, what people think so again thank you so much uh louise we really really appreciate you taking the time it has been a pleasure thank you for having me it was great to have louise on today um we had a little bit of a back and forth uh, for a little while trying to figure out a date to get him on, but I'm really glad I trusted my gut and got him here because I knew it was going to be a, a great, <laughs> a great episode. So uh, I told Nicole I didn't have a joke or a little pun this time, but I uh, decided to throw that in there. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, great, great content from Luis. Um you know, like it's really exciting to hear about this and learn about it. This it's for sure not a strength of mine. So I was sitting here taking down some notes and I know I've got some uh, follow-up reading to do, but I think it's a really exciting time. Like you mentioned some new technology, some new techniques to better understand uh, the equine uh, microbiome. And uh, as we alluded to in the episode, like there's such a growing body of evidence talking about the importance of diet in across a wide, wide spectrum of different diseases and disorders on the human side. Uh, there's no reason why it wouldn't be similar in horses. And so we're, he's for sure at the forefront and, and a pioneer sort of going down that down that road and figuring out why um, the why behind so much of this. And actually, after he hopped off the call, uh, Nicole and I stayed on chat with him for a couple minutes. And um yeah, it was it was interesting because he was talking about what really motivates him is he, he does have a very active clinical practice as well at OVC and you have these uh, horse owners showing up and they're uh, very upset as they should be about you know different disorders with their horses and they are they're always asking like why does my horse have diarrhea or why did it colic and as of right now a lot of times we can't answer the why so that's really what motivates him and it it was just a really cool perspective on you know, what informs his research and why he's doing what he does. Yeah, absolutely. Great conversation, lots of great knowledge. And I think we'll definitely be hearing from Dr. Arroyo, you know, again in the future as his research continues to um, develop really important uh, discoveries and information that can better inform the way that we care for our horses. So with that, that's a wrap for today. You can find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Sport Horse Series. And please also follow us on whatever podcast app you're currently listening to. Uh, you can also leave a review that helps other people to find the podcast. So appreciate if you could do that. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network network with you wherever you go on our free app for iphone and android android just go to the app store and search horse radio network thanks again to hilltop bio for sponsoring this episode and here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy 